You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Bible, do not turn to John this time. We're going to take a next couple of weeks. I want to go ahead and remind you the next week is our, uh, what we've been calling our generational worship where we're not having children's church and we're encouraging our children to sit uh, with uh, their family and parents and we uh, will be observing baptism. Uh, We'll also be observing the Lord's Supper and uh, worshiping together as, as a family. We do that every fifth Sunday. And so this week and next week, Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, a historical aspect over uh, the Protestant Reformation. So if you will, take your Bible uh, and look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 will be our introductory text. And then we're going to be looking at other texts dealing with Scripture. Mona was just playing beautifully, Word of God, speak. Do you believe that the Word of God speaks? I do. And so as we think about it, I was thinking this week, I was still going to be in John. I guess when you're the, the pastor, you have the flexibility of allowing the Lord stir your heart. And it seemed like that everything that I got in the mail or any magazine or publication, whether it's from the Southern Baptist Convention or just ministerial things or you know Christianity Today, you name it, is dealing with the 500th year celebration of the Protestant Reformation. It's a big deal. And and much of what we owe historically, we owe to the Protestant Reformation. So take your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I want to use this verse to lay a great, I think, a foundation for what was going on over 500 years ago. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. This is... Paul writing to Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, a man that he had poured his life into and mentored. Paul says, through the word of God, I hope to come to you, but I'm writing these things to you so that. And Paul's reminding Timothy, if I am delayed, I want you to know something. I want you to know how one ought to behave. Have you ever thought about how to behave? In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the what? Now, I thought about that this week. Why would Paul have to remind Timothy of that? I mean, it hadn't been that long. I mean, you think about hanging out with Paul that long, you know. Paul was an apostle called by Jesus Christ. And Paul gave his life to Christ and gave his life serving Christ and came across Timothy and God brought them together and he, he poured his life into Timothy. And so why after such a short period of time would someone have to be reminded, hey, the church is special. And the church is the household of a living God. And the one place, Timothy, that the world should see truth is the church. Wasn't that many years after that Christ would have ascended to the right hand of the Father and we're already seeing God literally reminding the church, church, be the church. Be a living church. A church that that stands on truth and believes truth and lives that truth out. 
Now put yourself 500 years ago in the world. And 500 years ago next week in that time frame, a man started what we would call the the spark or we could say the documenting and historically the beginning of what we call the, the Protestant Reformation. And it was over truth. It was over a church that had gotten away from Scripture and from truth. And so literally, if you think about it, literally from a historical standpoint, and I do want to encourage each and every one of you, whether you have internet, if you have internet, Google it, okay? Protestant Reformation. You'll be there all day. If you don't have internet, guess what we still have in our world today? Books. Libraries. I wonder how many of our kids know the Dewey Decimal System. I still remember, I'm so old, I still remember going to the library and pulling out the little wooden box and go to the library. Don't claim ignorance forever. Understand historically what this celebration is all about. This is not just a Lutheran celebration. This is an understanding from the standpoint of Christianity where we are. I put in your bulletin the five solas of the Reformation. These probably came after the fact. The, you know, the, the, the Reformation was not a, these guys sitting around in a room coming up with the five solas and let's, you know, let's do this, let's do that. A lot of these things came after the fact. The five solas of the Reformation were basically the truth of what it means to be saved, what it is to be a believer, what it is as a church that we're going to stand on, this buttress of truth, this pillar and buttress of truth, and we call them the five solas, which is Latin for alone. I call them the onlys. What does it mean to be saved? What is it we understand that is the gospel truth, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone? And they were things that drove these men and women of what we call the, the Reformation to be willing. Now here's the key. Willing to do whatever is necessary to stand on truth. We could, we could learn some lessons from that today. Let me take you back in some of the things that we discussed. John Wycliffe in the 1300s decided that the Bible needed to be in a language everybody could understand it. Before they could martyr him, he did die of natural causes, but the church at that time was so frustrated, how dare you put the Bible in everyday language? Let's, let's dig his dead body up and excommunicate it and declare him a heretic and burn his bones and throw him into the river. That was in the 1300s. In the 1400s, John Huss was a Bohemian priest and he was excommunicated and burned at the stake in the 1400s because he believed that the scripture was enough. And then the, the gentleman of what we would call the Reformation in the 1500s, Martin Luther, was a German monk that loved the word. But he also loved his church. And he saw that there were some things in the church that had gotten away from truth. And so he is the one that literally, we would say, began the, the Protestant Reformation, reforming the church. We move on to Martin Luther, to Huldrych Zwingli. He was a Swiss theologian from Switzerland. He was also in the 1500s and was, began the, the Reformation in Switzerland. So as we, we think about these historical figures, these are not guys growing up in the, they didn't go to seminary together. They weren't sitting around together debating and talking about things. You, what you see with the Protestant Reformation is a God in charge of redemptive history. And he has seen his church get away from truth and he begins to stir the hearts of men and women to stand on truth. So Zwingli was in Switzerland in the 1500s. And probably other than Luther, 
John Calvin would probably have the most recognizable name also in the 1500s. He would have been a, a French theologian, but did most of his ministry in Geneva after the Reformation. Once the Reformation began, it was, you, know, you didn't just, couldn't just hang out where you were. You, you left here and you left there. You hid here, you hid there, but you stood on truth. And then also in the 1500s, you would have had John Knox of Scotland. They said we must stand on the word. Here's one I bet you've never really thought about for those that have thought about the Protestant Reformation. King Henry VIII. Now most people think, well, I've never thought of King Henry VIII as a great reformer. King Henry VIII was the king of England. And he had six wives. In his first wife, he tried to get out of the marriage. And the, 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 the Roman Catholic Church would not annul the marriage. You know what he did? Eventually, he had her killed. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to reform as well. And became the head of the Church of England. And it's the Church of England that we have the Anglican Church. Do you know where Baptists come from? The old crazy man with six wives. The Anglican church is where we have the pilgrims and the Puritans that came and did what? Founded our great nation. I've ran into two types of people over the last couple of months. The reformers that are celebrating and celebrating, and celebrating, and celebrating, almost to the point it gets on your nerves. The other group, totally ignoring history. I've always told myself, it, a good way to understand, this way I look at it, every one of these men were fallen and depraved. And every one of these men, you can look at historically, and they had some issues. Would you, would you agree to that? Do you believe your pastor has issues? I see. Now listen, I see some of y'all and Joe. I, you got issues because I'm your pastor. But yet, these are historical figures that were willing to make a stand on the Word of God. Sola Scriptura. 500 years ago, there was no way, as you, as you looked at, imagine living 500 years ago in the condition of the church. Here would have been some questions. Where is truth? Where is our authority? Where is hope? Where is salvation? Before the Reformation, it was found in the church. And the church at the time, the Roman Catholic Church, believed this. The Bible is infallible. The leader of the church is infallible. And the traditions of the church are infallible. What's wrong with that? We've got a Bible that's true, but it takes someone like me to tell you what it means. And then it takes the church to have someone like me to tell you everything you need to know. So during the time of this Reformation, what was taking place is you literally had a Martin Luther type sitting in a, in a library somewhere studying the, the, the word and, and Latin and, and the language. And he would have been reading the word and he said, okay, I have brought up and I have been told that the church that the leader of the church, and that the word is infallible. But the more I read and the more I read, I only see one thing that is infallible. And that is the word of God. We think about scripture alone. We think about scripture alone then. The church believed the Bible, but it also believed it needed an infallible person to interpret the Bible. 
They did not believe then that it was possible for a common man to understand Scripture so there literally was no Scripture. It would be like coming to church and there's not one Bible. Nobody has a Bible but me, and I'm the only one that can read it and tell you what it says. That is, that is the church 500 years ago. Can you imagine? Now do we understand when we look at our, our Lutheran brothers and sisters and say, man, what's all the fuss about? Scripture alone. I mentioned the Anglican church, and I want to go to that before I move on. If you think about and as you read and say, and I do encourage you to read and study just from a, from a historical standpoint. We've got a lot of little notes here. Just a, a quick thing here. As the hope of the reforming the Roman church faded, the Protestants were forced to separate from Roman Catholicism, resulting in Lutheran churches in Germany, where we get our Lutheran church. Scandinavia and us, other eastern countries, you had the reformed churches. Let me throw that again. Lutheran churches in Germany, Scandinavia, and some eastern countries. The reformed churches, which Calvin would have had great influence over in Switzerland and the Netherlands. John Knox, the Presbyterian churches in Scotland, and then the Anglican church in England. So think about God on his throne in history. There we go. And out of that Anglican church, we began to see more understanding of what Scripture is teaching and where we have the, the birth of what I would call the Baptist church that came out of England and then began to settle in Amsterdam and then in Amsterdam literally over to America and so forth. Just men, but yet the principle behind these men and women, I want us to practice today. Because I don't want to celebrate something that took place way back then. Have you ever, have you ever drove through, anybody ever drive through Georgia? To this day, you can drive through Georgia and you'll see the old guy that's got the faded national champions. University of Georgia, national champions. It's faded and bent and tarnished. Why? Because it was in 1980. And we're living in the past, and we're living in the past, and we're living in the past where, where some folks take history and that's what they do. We live in the past, we live in the past, we live in the past. That's great, that's great. I'm living, I'm thankful for the past. Churches can do that. Living in the past. I'm grateful for the past. i tell you a great example of what I'm trying to say here. We think about our forefathers. Research their theology. I don't think any of our forefathers could pass the deacon qualification exam to be a deacon at First Baptist Church. Did you know that? You didn't know that? We were formed as a Christian nation. They were deists at best. Ben Franklin, we won't even go there. The point I'm trying to make is all of men is fallible. But I'm so proud to say I'm an American. Not because of Ben Franklin or George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. I'm proud to be a Christian not because of, of this theologian or that theologian. I'm proud to be a Christian because God has done great things. He, he took fallible men and women to get on a boat and, and formed our country. But it's what took place in the past that helps us celebrate where we're going now and forever. So yes, I am very grateful for the Reformation. I'm very grateful for my Lutheran brothers and sisters in Christ and my Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm grateful for Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. I always say that wrong. All the Reformers. But what I am excited about is today. You know what we need in America today? A reformation. A reformation. Somebody bold enough to take the torch from a Luther or a Calvin or a Knox 
or a Huss or a Wycliffe. Somebody that is so burdened over the word of God to say it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm going to stand on the word of God alone. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to stand up in front of John Wycliffe in, in heaven? What about John Huss? Because John Huss was naked. Something about that. He was naked, chained to a post with a dunce hat on and burned alive over the scripture. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for all of us when we get to heaven and say, hey, I had a 14 Bibles just in my bedroom alone. Did you read it? No, I just didn't have time. Can you imagine standing before these folks in heaven that were willing to do everything they did for the Glory of God alone, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, knowing all that we have today. Then it was over authority. It wasn't scripture alone that dictated what was right or wrong. It took the leader of the church and it took the church. And those two things always will override these two things in the church. And that's how things get done. Boy, aren't you glad we don't live in those days anymore. Wink, wink. But what about today? I didn't want to come across as I had all infallible authority. So I simply want to say this. Now, the now from your pastor's observations. Then, this is what they were dealing with. Now, do you know what we're dealing with? The same thing. We have the same infallible word of God, but this is what we have today. Oh, I'm so glad that we're not the way we used to be. I'm so glad that we, we are the church now. Well, let me tell you what I deal with every day of my life, no matter where I live. We have solar scriptura, but we have this. Listen, my relationship is just between me and God. You have your Bible and you do with it what you want. But this, what I do is between me and God. Really? Solar Scripture, you can read that in your bulletin. Solar Scripture says God's word alone. Today we say it's just between me and God. Don't, don't be so quick to tell me right or wrong. It, this is between me and God. If I want to give, I'll give to the church. If I want to go to church, I'll go to church. If I want to do this, I'll do this. Because my life is just about me and God. And so basically what we're saying is I'm infallible and the word is also infallible. We, we say we believe in the infallibility of Scripture. We're saying that we're, we, we decide what's going on here. How about this? I know I have the Bible, but this is what God is telling me. So it's more than just me and God alone. Now we've got this I, every, I will say without question, at least once a month I deal with all of these. I would say once a week, but I know once a month. God told me, it's like me and the Spirit apart from the God. So I've got the Word of God, but this is what the Spirit is leading me to do. I have, I've prayed about it. God has told me these things. I feel good about it. So we've got this Holy Spirit that's our infallible witness. We've gotten away from Scripture alone. It's me and God alone. It's, it's me and the, the Spirit alone. Whatever I just feel like I need to do. I don't want to spend any time here or reading here. It's just the Spirit alone. How about this one? Me and the pastor alone. That sounds fun, doesn't it? I don't need a Bible. I've got Bibles at home. I'm just going to come to church and listen to what he has to say. You know how many times I've heard that in my ministry? Well, the pastor I used to be, I had a Sunday school teacher once. Somebody told me this once. Well, that's great as long as it's biblical, right? You could almost say a pastor alone or the Internet alone. That's even better now. Well, pastor, I saw on the, on the Internet, well, by all means, let's just don't even have the Bible anymore. Let's just do what the Internet says. That sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? 
But that's what we that's where we are. We are no different today in some aspects than we were many years ago. We have gotten away from Scripture alone. Now, about church leadership and about leadership, I will say this. There is being a father. Here's a great example. You're a father. My role as a father is to be a leader of my household. And being a believer, that leadership is based on the Word of God. You know I like football. I love watching football. My wife loves watching football with me, especially with a DVR. I can stop. I'd explain to her what was supposed to develop out of that play and what didn't happen, didn't happen. And I love watching Jimbo Fisher. I like Jimbo Fisher. He's animated. What were you doing? That's what he said yesterday. What? 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 He's upset because what you when the when the when the corner bails, uh, the the out's going to be open. Why are you throwing the the go route on cover three? What are you thinking? Ah. There's kind of rules we follow. As a, as a father, I am not perfect. But I've been called to be a leader of my home that stands on the word of God. So if I have a child and I say, you will not, you, will not, you can date, but you have to be home at 730. And the, and the child says, well, that's not in the Bible. And the pastor said, scripture alone. Well, it is scripture alone. And the scripture says, I'm your father, and you'll honor your father and mother. So when I say scripture alone, that's what I mean. When I, when I say, as your pastor, thus saith the Lord, the Bible says, listen to the man that I've placed to teach you the word of God. What I'm referring to is when people that are supposed to be leading us biblically are not leading us biblically. And because we're not biblical people, we don't catch it. TV preaching can be really encouraging. But eating eight bowls of ice cream a night can be pretty fun too. But it may not be good for you. Let me tell you the best way to find a church. I had somebody tell me this this week. Made me feel good. Pastor, I, true story. When I say true, you know it's true. Pastor, I visited a church, and I didn't like the way he didn't hold his Bible long enough. When you hold your Bible and you're talking through your sermon, what do people say you're talking about? He said he read, he, he read a verse and put his Bible down. He talked about everything and never got back to the Bible. A great indication of Sunday school and small group and anything we do, how important is Scripture? I need to move on. Now, so we're in the nows. I'm sitting a long, this is a long introduction, isn't it? We're celebrating the 500 years of Reformation. This is going to be a 500-year sermon. <laughs> now, another now. Oh, my goodness, I'm fixing to call us Roman Catholic. Our tradition. Can you imagine I've ever heard that before? Brother John, this is what we have all... I've heard that from being Baptist. Now, we're Baptist. Well, what in heaven's name does that mean? Because some Baptist did something 100 years ago, we're supposed to do it even if it's not even in Scripture? Can I tell you what I did one time? I'm fun to go to denominational stuff with. I love our denomination again. They sent us $25,000 this week. And you know what? I, I called Tommy up and said, hey, we can do more together than we could ever do alone. I love being Southern Baptist. But I have been in some Southern Baptist meetings where I go, okay, I'm not doing that. Well, what do you mean you're not going to do that? Well, because what you're doing is some man-centered form of evangelism to stir emotion, and it is the most unbiblical thing I've ever heard of. Everybody like, well, Brother John, that's what, that's exactly. We might as well be Roman Catholic and say tradition's going to drive us. Maybe that's why I don't get invited to many executive meetings with the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. Hey, I love being Southern Baptist, but just don't get all crazy because we've always done it that way. 
well, I don't know if I like this because we've never done it that way before. That's tradition dictating what we do as a church instead of what dictating? The Bible. Now, there are many things in Scripture that don't, I mean, we don't, I mean, I tried to find what happens when a hurricane hits your children's ministry building in Leviticus. Couldn't find it. I was looking. I was Googling that in the Greek, the Hebrew. What do we do? There are many things in Scripture that we don't know. So we just do it in consistency with what we do know. Evangelism is what I was referring to a while ago. Evangelism is where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ and we encourage people to be saved. Where we get a little funny with that is, are we sharing the gospel? What are we doing to try to get people to be saved? That's where it gets a little gray and that's where a lot of times tradition comes into it. But the issue is, okay, we're making a decision. Brother John, I always say brother when it's a church story. Brother John, we are not doing that. Why aren't we doing that? Because we've never done it before that way before. Is it, is it, is it contradicting scripture? No. Okay, then why are you so mad? All we need to be is like Luther. You can be Lutheran for only one day, that's today. And Brian's not here today. Of all days, he's not here. I say that, please pray for Brian and Chris and their daughter, Michelle. She is having ongoing health issues, and they had to leave this morning early to go be with her. So we want to pray for them. We need people that will stand for the gospel and stand on the word, like a Lutheran and a Calvin and a Knox and a Wycliffe and a Huss. Because if you think that we are standing on Scripture alone as a society, you are living in a cave. We can't define what marriage is. Try having a talk about premarital sex with an unbelieving teenager and see how far that gets you. Try talking about what's right and what's wrong and what's this and what's that in our world today. And you will see how far we have gotten from what the reformers were willing to give their life for. Scripture alone. I want to share three quick verses with you. Very quick. And this is not a a typical message for me. But yet I think it's one that needs to be shared. Three truths that I I would say not only change my life, but drive my life to be sola scriptura. I mean, I know this is silly, but this is the way I think. I want to walk up to Luther and Knox and Calvin and all the other reformers. We don't know their name. I want to meet that first Baptist dude that realized the Church of England wasn't right and created us. You know? I want to stand before those guys one day and go, glad to meet you. I was a Southern Baptist pastor and the 1900s. And I'd love to hear what them guys say, I know. We're going to be keeping an eye on you. We saw you. Wasn't the most popular thing to do in the 1900s? No, but I'm going to say, what? Better than where you had it. I want to be able to stand before these missionaries that gave their life in third world countries and say, I fought the good fight as well. And if we're not willing to stand on this, We're not standing on anything. Three great truths that changed my life and continue to drive my life. Look at John 17, 1, the prayer of Jesus Christ in the literally walking to the garden. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. So he's, he's walking, he's praying. Look over to John uh, to verse 17. He's praying for us. He says, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them on the truth, your word 
is what? Truth. Scripture alone, truth alone, truth alone, truth alone. What does God's word say? That is the truth. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy by your word. Your word is truth. Jesus was praying for those that would be his in advance of us being his, saying, Lord God, sanctify them, set them apart by your word. Your word is truth. You think about God's word is absolute truth. That's an understanding that so many of us forget. I don't know if we under, forget it. We've never realized it. God has always spoken truth. That God has never spoken an untruth. In the very beginning, God said, let there be. In God's word, it was there. God spoke it into being. From there, God spoke through prophets, thus saith the Lord. When Isaiah said, thus saith the Lord, it was just like God himself were speaking. So he spoke through decrees. He spoke through the, the prophets. And then we have in the New Testament, Jesus said, I am the word. And the word became flesh. And Jesus Christ says, I am the great I am. I am the light. I am the way. I am the truth. And God spoke through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ stood before the Pharisee that we've been looking at and said, Thus saith the Lord, it was God speaking. And then God gave us apostles when the Spirit came upon them. And they began to write. And they wrote letters. And those letters have been preserved and canonized and even in with with fallen men and women involved with the process we have the word of god just as clear if god were saying god said i can tell you god said and when we realize that the way that god sanctifies us with truth is through his word that's why I said game changer for me. Life changing understanding when I understood about the word of God and his truth. A second verse that is just, I could preach on this, these verses every week and never grow weary. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following. I'll read it quickly. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. There's something out there that he's learned and he's believed, he's grasping to. Knowing from when you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following. Verse 16. All scripture. I've got this circled so many different times in my Bible with different colored ink and different colored highlighters. And every time I read it, I circle it again. All scripture. How much of scripture? All of scripture is breathed out. Literally it means breathed out by God. The Bible, that dusty thing you never open, that thing that we stick our quarterly in for Sunday school and never open it till next Sunday we come back to Sunday school, that thing that we have sitting in the back seat of our car that we put down every Sunday and pick back up on Sunday, that is the actual breathe out words of God. You know how frustrated my wife gets when she talks to me and I never respond? Isn't that aggravating? Huh? What? When's the last time you heard God say anything? It'll be the last time you opened up the Word of God. That's that simple. That's, that was a game changer. I mean, I, I use that phrase often. That was an eye-opening encounter for me as a young man. I have the Word of God, which is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You know what that mean, those words mean? The Bible teaches me what to believe, what not to believe, what to do, what not to do. Do you know why we make so many terrible choices? You're not listening to God. You don't know what to believe. You believe anything. You don't know what to do. You do anything. That's why your life's a train wreck. You know how fun it is to do counseling with me? Brother John, I'm awful. Yeah, you're awful. Your life's a dumpster fire. I can't quit looking at it. 
What do you think's wrong? Your heart's wicked and you never get in the Word of God and you never go to church. What else are you supposed to do? That's all we're going to do. I'm really not quite that bold. Imagine what Paul would say. Imagine crawling up into Paul's office. Oh, Paul. I jokingly, I, I like, I'm a, I, I'm in, I like politics. Here lately, I just like making fun of politics. I voted for Trump. I made fun of it as I did it. I love my president. I support my president. I voted for President Trump, but my guy won. Hey, my guy won. Praying for him. I didn't vote for President Obama. He won. Guess what I did? Prayed for him. I'm not being anti-politics, but I'm going to tell you this. It isn't going to be a president that takes America back, whether it's a Democrat or Republican or somebody in between. But we buy into it. Yes, I see it at churches. Take America back rally. Is it a preaching service? Because that's the only way America is going to be taken back. Pastor, I need a, I'm going to do a 14 steps to getting my family back. Are those 14 verses found in Scripture? Because that's the only thing that's going to get your family back. Anything pertaining to life is fixable by the Word of God. When I pray for the president, for President Trump, Lord, give him a... a heart for you. Put godly men and women around him that love your word. That love your word. That's what I tell people. Just to Find a church that loves the word. Find a, a soulmate that loves the word. So you'll know what to believe and not to believe and what to do and what not to do. And then look at verse chapter 4. Keep reading. That you may be the man complete, equipped for every good work. Now, verse 4, I charge you in the presence of God. How, how strong a charge is that? When you say, I am charging you in the presence of God, that would be like me saying, I promise you this is the word because if I was standing before God himself, I promise you this is what you need to hear. Paul saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, verse 2, preach the word. Wow. Timothy, if you don't get anything else right, all of Scripture is breathed out by God, and in the presence of God the Father and his Son Jesus Christ, by the filling of the Holy Spirit, you preach the word. The Word, the breathed message of God Himself to His people. The Word, the Bible. Then last, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. All these available on my little sermon outline site. I actually download them every morning now if you want to Mobile phone it. You can mobile phone it while I'm sitting there, but please open your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, first, 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. Now, I don't know how many Greek scholars we have in here, but let me tell you what all things means. You ready for this? Write it down. All things. I have granted to you everything you need. I've given it to you. That pertain to life and godliness. Well, that's about all I need. Everything pertaining to my life and my godliness, I have. Let me back up, though. I missed the first few verses. His divine power has granted to me all things pertaining to life and godliness. Go back to Pastor John's counseling ministry, which I love biblical counseling. Go back to Pastor John's counseling ministry. Somebody walks in the door and their life is a train wreck. And I just say that just jokingly, but you know, you know the people. They might be sitting next to you. Life is a train wreck. 
And they walk in the door, and I'm like sending Morse code knocks to Matt next door. Help, help, help. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Do I have to do that? Do I have to Google train wreck person? What in the world can I do for them? Crazy, cray-cray alarm. No, they sit down. I said, I'm Pastor John Beck. I'm so glad that you came. Who introduced you to me in the church? I would love to help you. I get like an arrogant smirk on my face. Tell me what's going on in your life. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. I've gave my life to Christ. That is great. Guess what? Everything you need by his divine power, he's granted to you. But you don't. No buts. But I don't care. Whatever you're going through, as a believer, now an unbeliever, this don't, an unbeliever is dead in their trespassing sin anyway. They're, they're going to continue to be dead in their trespassing sin. So when you're trying to fix a lost person, you can't do it. Only a born-again person can understand that his divine power has given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. Man, that frees you up as a pastor. You want to talk about being set free. Everything they have pertaining to life and godliness, God has given to us through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything. So if they're born again, they got it. And we've got his word right here. Guess what we do? We start reading the word. I don't lay them on a couch and ask how many brothers and sisters they have and ask if they were a middle child and they were abused. I am a prime candidate of that. My sister was the favorite. I have emotional scars. Matt's an only child. I'm a middle child. We don't get each other. So I go in my office and read the Bible. He goes in his office and reads the Bible and we figure it out. Because God has given us everything pertaining through the knowledge of him who called you into his own glory. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us. I grant this to you. I give this to you. This is here for the taking his precious and great promises that so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire wow amazing what we find in scripture when we read it been set free by the word of the lord by the father the son and the holy spirit and the word and the church we've been literally set free scripture alone yes over the next few weeks I don't you know probably the morning news the day show the morning everybody's talking about the reformation everybody's talking about it churches are celebrating people are talking about everybody the Luthers the Wingleys the Calvins the Knoxes the Husses the Wycliffs They stood on the word alone. I remember being at chapel at Florida Baptist College. And there was an elderly pastor that preached in a, a liberal area. A liberal area, a liberal church is a church that does not stand on the authority of Scripture alone. And evidently, he was pastoring in some churches or in an area that had a very strong liberal influence. And I remember him coming to chapel, and he was an elderly man, and he stood up to preach in chapel. And the, I don't even remember who introduced him. I just remember what the man said. With tears in his eyes, the man that introduced our chapel speaker said he was a man that stood for the conservative movement when it was not popular to stand in the conservative movement, but he didn't care what anybody thought. He stood and he preached the word in a liberal society and he never was able to pastor that large church because the conservative church wasn't what people went to but he said he faithfully preached the word and I remember sitting there and said God make me that man 
make me the man if I'm just, a, as we would say, the, the small country church pastor that's preaching the word of God as the word of God in a society that doesn't want to hear it, knowing that I will stand before the Lord one day and receive his accolations whether nobody cares this side of heaven. Lord, make me that man. Then I'll have something in common with Luther and Calvin and Knox and Huss. We need a reformation today. And it starts where it started 500 years ago. One of the solas, Scripture alone. We read it, we trust it, we meditate on it, we live it out. Before we sing, before I pray, I want you to do this. As we sing, I want you to ask God. I want you to get with God and ask him, when, how do you feel about his word? You know, one of the dangers that a Matt and I would have in, in, as pastors, the Bible becomes a sermon and a lecture. Oh, great Greek word there. Oh, Hebrew. Oh, theological truth. And we stop reading the Bible devotionally. We stop reading the Bible and praying in a way that it's just me and the Father. When is the last time, whether you're 100 or whether you're 20, when is the last time that you consistently say you love the Word and you read the Word just to know more about God and His Word? These men and women of the Reformation were giving their life to make a difference within the church. Scripture alone. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we have scripture alone. And Lord, I pray that we understand the gift of knowing we can hear from our heavenly father every day. When we are born again, we receive the spirit of God abiding within us. And we literally, Lord God, have union with Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate the Reformation of 500 plus years ago, that we realize as a church, yes, it is a historical event, and yes, it needs to be celebrated, but Lord, we have a so great of salvation today. Let us take these onlys that drove the church for so many years and realize they need to drive our church and our Christian life as well. Lord, we need to be a people that believes in Scripture alone. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.